You're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guest is Tim Horan, Managing Director and Senior Analyst heading the Cloud and Communication Services Research Team. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking. This episode was recorded on October 11, 2022. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our episode called The Cloud, a a once-in-a-century investment opportunity revisited. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with Tim Haran, the Managing Director and Senior Analyst heading the Cloud and Communication Services Research Team at Oppenheimer. Now, Tim and I did a Let's Talk Future podcast episode about a year and a half ago where we discussed the potentially hugely transformative power of the cloud on both the global economy and society. Since then, we've seen a lot happen. We've had a big sell-off in the broad market and NASDAQ, reflecting numerous geopolitical and economic risks. So we decided this would be a good time to refresh our cloud investment thesis and talk about the opportunities in today's market. Tim Horan is clearly the right guy for this task. He covers a broad array of communication and cloud companies. He's the recipient of multiple awards, including the Greenwich Associates Institutional Survey and the Wall Street Journal All-Star Analyst Awards. And so with all of that, once again, welcome back, Tim Horan. Thanks, Jane. Nice to be here. Glad to have you back. Now, let's just jump in. In our last episode, we kind of boldly talked about the cloud representing the most important societal development of the last 100 years. Do we still feel that way? Uh, Definitely. These uh, kind of general purpose technologies only come around every once 100 years. The last one was electricity. The one before that was a high-pressured steam engine. And uh, they go through a lot of volatility. As they get deployed, you know, they drive a lot of booms and busts or maybe bubbles in the economy. Sometimes the productivity improvement that you see from these technologies replaces a whole host of legacy industries and they can cause depressions or deflation even. That, that's how important they are. Um, you know, so the volatility here is, is not too surprising. The cloud growth does continue to grow at a really strong pace. It's going to be $160 billion this year just for the three major cloud infrastructure providers, and that'll be up about $40 billion over last year. Wow. And we think ultimately it's still a trillion to $2 trillion market and will affect every industry and every society in the world. Okay. So we've had growth. We have, you still think that it's going to touch kind of all aspects of our lives, but we've had some specific things come up here. I mean, inflation and interest rates on the move and problems with access to capital. So how are you viewing all of those risks that have popped up since we last spoke a year and a half ago? Well, so on average, my stocks are down 50% year to date. So it's been you know, pretty dramatic. 
a lot of that we think has to do with just valuations. Very few of our companies have actually missed any numbers or estimates from a year ago. But when you go from a 1% 10-year interest rate to 4%, that really affects discount rates and the valuations. So particularly for companies that aren't earning any money. So we've had some companies like a Cloudflare that went from $20 to $220. You know, it's back in the $50 range now. And they beat numbers. And it's almost entirely just because the valuing future free cash flows and any financial asset is the net present value future free cash flows uh, has made those future free cash flows worth a lot less right now. So that's why the valuations got hit. But 50% is obviously a huge move. There are companies that need capital that have gotten hit even worse because the biggest risk if you're a company is that uh, when your debt comes due, if you can't refinance it, you're essentially bankrupt. And as you know, this is an extremely capital intensive industry. Just the three hyperscalers are going to spend $60 billion this year in CapEx. Uh, Google, the third one, is the most immature. It's going to burn $10 billion. And we've had you know dozens or 100 companies that are burning cash to help build out the new cloud and help enable all the new applications on the cloud. And those companies that are burning cash right now are not in favor by Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, that clearly all makes sense. The good news is, is that, well, the good news, bad news is we've seen a lot of damage. And as one takes a fresh look at valuations, we have much lower entry points. Let's, let's just start this waterfall of a discussion about the cloud and the various investments, starting with the biggest end of the pyramid, the, the service providers. Can you spend a little bit of time talking about how you're viewing those companies and the biggest opportunities in the cloud services space? Sure. So the, the big three are Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. Amazon is the darling for new startups. Unfortunately for them, a little bit, new startups are probably going to slow down here and some of the existing startups are probably going to slow their growth a little bit and we're not going to have a new startups for a little while given that there's not a lot of capital out there right now. But even still, Amazon's seeing extraordinary growth. They're growing revenues in the 30% range on a very, very large uh, base at this point. And they're continuing to spend a lot in capital all three of the companies have not slowed their build-outs down at all in terms of fiber, data centers, all the hardware and compute that goes in, inside the data centers. And that partially leads me to believe that they are very optimistic about growth over the next five to 10 years because they see the transformational power that cloud has, broadly speaking. It's going to enable artificial intelligence, which will enable robots and self-driven cars and much better healthcare you know, much better impact on society overall, but it just is going to take some time. Right. But they're continuing to invest and that's a strong signal of, of support. I also want to just give a little bit of a commercial here. You know, the last episode that we did, I thought was a really, really helpful primer in what the cloud is, the societal impacts it's going to have. So I would urge listeners to go back and listen to that one if you haven't done so. But so you've got the, the Amazons and the Microsofts and the Googles, and I know that you need a vast network to support the cloud and the fog. So where are we in that process with the infrastructure players? We are, you know, first of all, we're probably in the second inning of cloud adoption. As I referenced, $150 billion 
of just for the big three, probably going to a one and a half trillion in the next kind of 10 years or so. We do need a lot more infrastructure and there's a lot of ways to play it and that'll ultimately en enable a lot more new applications. But we're seeing uh, major upgrades both to the data center and all the compute inside the data centers. You're looking at a three to five fold improvement in productivity inside these data centers. And we're looking at three to five folds improvement in the technology to network and to connect to these data centers. You know, some of the biggest suppliers in, of data centers are a company we follow called Equinix. They have a very unique neutral interconnectivity model. They essentially allow everyone to exchange traffic inside their data centers for both cloud and the internet. And I liken it oftentimes to Grand Central Terminal, where it's kind of a neutral meeting spot where you would go from a subway up to uh, to walk or to subway to a train or to a taxi or wherever else you need to go. And being in one spot is unbelievably convenient. There are companies that provide a lot of the equipment inside these data centers, which are going through a, basically a technological revolution. But um, companies like uh, Broadcom have enabled new switching that's three to four fold more improvements from a, a new chip they have out, out called Tomahawk 2. There's other providers inside these data centers like Vertiv, which provides power and cooling and backup power inside these data centers. I don't follow these two companies. And there are many others that are equipment suppliers. You need massive amounts of backup generators in a lot of these locations. This process, the data center build-outs are as strong as ever, and I think will remain very, very strong. Just to ask you a question there then on the data center rollouts and difficulties that this market has created with access to capital and all of that, you're not concerned about that continuing. Great point. And that's mostly because Amazon Web Services, Google, Microsoft produce huge, huge amounts of, of free cash flow. Investing $10 billion a year, that's probably only 20% of their free cash flow that they're generating. Uh, you know, so those companies are very, very lucky. Now, you know, there are other companies that are looking to build that infrastructure that are not as lucky right now because they don't have the free cash flow that would enable that. And so you were talking about the equipment in the data centers and growth that we've seen there. What about on the network side of things? In wireless, we've in the United States are seeing a 10 to 20 fold increase in wireless capacity. And you're seeing the latency, the delays in the network decline by 30, 40%. So the networks have gotten substantially better, but really we haven't caught up to the new use cases yet, but this type of improvement will enable things like the robots and self-driven cars and a lot more things like high definition cameras everywhere so that you can recognize basically maybe a, a thief in the street, or you could uh, recognize where there might potentially be a problem in the road that you want to slow traffic down for, if like oil's been spilt on the road, or you know, hundreds of other use cases that we haven't really thought of yet. But one use case we know of right now is what we call fixed wireless access, which is a competitor to the cable companies here in the United States. And Verizon and T-Mobile have added enough wireless capacity that they feel like they can serve people's homes also for their usage on broadband, what used to be mostly coming from the cable companies. And they can bundle that in with their mobile services. So they're only charging like $25, $30 a month if you bundle it in with your mobile services, where if you go to pay a cable company, you can be paying $100 a month for that product. So it's a fairly disruptive impact that's just getting rolled out right now in the United States. But 
We think it's going to have profound implications. We think it's extremely positive for Verizon and T-Mobile, and we are recommending both those stocks, but we think it's quite negative for the cable companies and, and other wireline companies, companies like Lumen, AT&T to a degree, Charter and Comcast are going to be impacted by this. I saw that you had upgraded Verizon recently. When you talk about that that's rolling out now, where are we in that? Are we 50% there? And are we talking about 5G here? Is that what you're talking about with the wireless product? Great question. On wireless, we're talking about 5G, four to five to six-fold improvement in productivity or throughput for a given level of spectrum. And we're also building out three, four, five times the amount of spectrum, which has nothing to do with 5G, but it's a lot more spectrum that the government has auctioned off or, or given off in a lot of use cases. And that's how we get the 10 to 20-fold improvement in capacity. And there's going to be a lot of private networks that get built out inside manufacturing facilities and warehouses, airports, and concert venues for a lot of new use cases that should dramatically improve productivity in all those segments of the market. I would also say we are building out a lot of fiber networks in the United States. We cover in the United States probably 40 million homes or maybe half the business locations with fiber in the United States. That is probably going through the next seven, eight, 10 years, go up to 80 million homes passed out of 130, 140, and probably go up to 70, 80% of, of businesses. And with fiber, it is the best connectivity you can get out there because it's lower latency, it's more consistent, it's uh, much, much more bandwidth. So really a revolution in broadband connectivity. And once you get that, then it's a lot easier to use the cloud. And even the cloud itself is getting built out closer to end users. We're storing a lot more of the data, a lot more of the processing is getting done near the end user to enable all these new applications. And I'll use self-driven cars as a, a one that's kind of the ultimate outcome of where people think this process is going. Mm-hmm. And who are the players in fiber? So Corning is a major fiber you know, supplier. There are a lot of small little optronics companies I don't follow, but a company like Calix provides a lot of the software intelligence and, and optronics and many other little niche providers that are that are out there. A lot of these are smaller cap companies other than you know Corning, obviously. And there are a lot of construction companies that do this uh, also that have to lay the fiber. Uh, there's you know three or four of them out there that are public. We follow one very small one called Qualtech. Uh, they right now though have a lot of leverage and are trying to work through that leverage. Hopefully the capital markets open up and allow them to do that. But if that does happen, someone like Qualtech could be a, a very, very, very good stock. But right now it's highly risky. Okay. So we got the service providers. We've got the infrastructure with data centers and fixed wireless and all of that. Connecting all of this is the issue around security. And in our last conversation, we talked about blockchain and the potential for token-based business models. And we talked about digital currencies. And there too, we've seen a pretty radical repricing of all of that, certainly digital currencies. So where are we in that? Yeah, so let me step back and kind of bridge the two. There is a a move to kind of converge security with networking, with processing and storage. A company at the forefront of that is called Cloudflare. They're building out more edge-based compute infrastructure that can handle basically all of this. Their goal is to pull a lot of equipment from corporate enterprises or the end user into a more of a shared location. So 
it's that cloud kind of moving out to the edge and they feel like they can have much better networking security, much better enterprise security, lower latency, much less delays and kind of cheaper storage. And then on top of that, you get networking. And if you can run all of this on the same infrastructure, they think they can do it very inexpensively. A lot of our coverage universe that's been able to do this historically, you get extremely high returns on investor capital if you do three, four, five different services on one set of infrastructure. So I did want to have a shout out for Cloudflare. Now people kind of recognize that a few years ago. So the stock shot up, it's pulling back. We think it will, we're not recommending it, but we think at some point it, it'll be a very, very good uh, buying opportunity. And they also, that same blockchain can also run on that same infrastructure. And right now blockchain is largely run on, running on AWS. And the most important uh, really protocol or operating system in blockchain is called Ethereum. Ethereum enables smart contracts. And with Ethereum, we can start to automate trust a lot more. We can anonymize data. We can make data immutable and we can greatly secure that data. Uh, but we need a lot of infrastructure to do that and we need time. Ethereum just went from proof of work to proof of stake. There's about four or five other upgrades that are gonna happen Ethereum. There's all sorts of uh, new, basically what we call them layer two protocols that are operating on top of Ethereum that will make transaction volumes happen much, much faster. But we think this is ultimately gonna disrupt a lot of the internet companies that are out there. We know there and many other business models that are more middlemen like, you know, type business models. So people can kind of go peer to peer a lot more. So instead of going through an Uber app, I'll go to an app that's a smart contract on your phone to call a taxi at potentially a 10 to 20% discount because, or more because someone like an Uber can get a, you know, 30, 40% of the revenues that they kind of keep. If I can give half of that back to the customer, it could be, you know, obviously very disruptive. So you had talked about on the infrastructure side and at data centers that were probably in the second inning of that. With this issue around blockchain and direct security, eliminating the middleman, are we in the first inning? Yeah, we're probably in a similar spot that we were with the internet in 1996, 97. Okay. An awful lot has to happen before we can get a company like Google and a company like a Facebook but they will come, it's probably in the next five years, we'll see the cost of compute and bandwidth gets cheap enough and good enough, and the software gets written, which usually takes about a decade, that we can see an, an Uber replacement that's based on a blockchain. Gotcha. So while we're, we're talking about that kind of the next five years, you know, we're at this point in the market where valuations have been beat up. We have your existing players that you still feel quite strongly about that um, are going to continue to be predominant players. Are there any new game-changing technologies or other considerations as we look ahead in how to play the cloud? Well, I, I, I've always tried to look at the basic infrastructure providers. The applications are a little more difficult to call at this point, but we do know that the three big guys are committed to building out the infrastructure. There are ways now to kind of tie data together to make data lakes so that I can do artificial intelligence a lot better. So we, we are seeing you know, major improvements like in customer care, where we can get a lot more digital activity and the call centers are getting a lot better. We are starting to slowly see major advancements in the healthcare industry, for example. I think combining the cloud with blockchain, we will be able to, for the first time, to digitize medical records 
and start to share a lot more data in anonymous ways to have major big breakthroughs and medical advancements. But, you know, once again, this is all going to require infrastructure over the next five years. Some companies that we know are definitely going to win on the cloud are, we believe, Cloudflare, other companies, smaller company for SMB DigitalOcean. We mentioned Equinix already and obviously AWS and Microsoft. But other companies outside my coverage universe, there's a company Snowflake that's enabling the collection of all the data from different locations. And I think they are in a lead position in that and it's gonna be difficult to catch up. Another cloud company, Datadog, basically enables a lot better monitoring of what's going on and measurement of what you're using on the cloud. And I think they're in a very strong position. But no matter what, all this stuff is driven by semiconductors and new processing uh, power. And this company, obviously Taiwan Semiconductor, that does a lot of the manufacturing globally for no matter for whoever designs. Uh, and someone like AWS is building their own ships, but they outsource the manufacturing it to someone like Taiwan Semiconductor. And there are dozens of other niche providers out there. Uh, clearly, we think on the wireless side, we are going to have very strong build outs the next few years. There's a very niche wireless equipment company we follow called Calix, which we think will be extremely well positioned. Another company we don't follow called Ericsson should massively benefit here from the wireless build outs. And also the fact that China will probably not be getting the latest cutting edge semiconductor equipment or semiconductor technology. So it's gonna be very difficult for them to kind of keep up with the arms race here on cloud and on, and on networking. So I know there's a lot of different names and if anyone wants to follow up on that, they can always reach out to me. We love a lot of different names. That's what we're, we're doing here. You mentioned something I wanna come back to. You talked about semiconductors and we're all aware of concerns about supply issues and stuff, but I've been reading about server chips as a real source of growth in data centers. And it sounds like some of your guys, you said, I think just now, Amazon's getting in that business. That could be a really nice source of growth, right? You know, absolutely. And if you, a lot of semiconductor companies have been guiding down here recently, mostly because the consumer is weak. Things like PCs, a lot of people bought PCs during the COVID and now they don't need it. To my points on, but they're seeing strength in, in the data center side, on the server side. And the big three are major, major buyers now of servers and server chips. And, you know, no matter what, you know, someone like a Taiwan Semiconductor is building those chips out, but we're definitely seeing some puts and takes here. A lot more things are moving to the cloud and a lot less um, in terms of edge equipment, which is going to be a trend for a very long time. And, you know, ultimately we think if the cloud gets good enough, we can move to file computing, we can have much, much cheaper end user devices. So instead of a $1,500 smartphone, you know, hopefully someday it's more like a $150 smartphone. We, the consumer, hopes that there's a 150 smartphone companies, not so sure. Well, Tim, you're the expert. Did I miss anything here as we summarize the cloud, which we think is still a tremendous source of, of change and transformation in terms of productivity and economic impact? Is there anything that we didn't touch on that we should have in this conversation? I, I just wanted to point out a, a bunch of the best companies in my sector right now, like an American Tower, Equinix, Amazon, we're all on the verge of bankruptcy back in 2002. Could have bought those stocks at like a dollar or less or a couple of dollars. And, you know, they're up hundreds of fold, you know, since. So I think the opportunity will come up in the next year or two. You know, we tend to watch what's going on with the 10, with the two year bond market. If that rolls over, that's kind of a good sign we're hitting our bottom. And if the credit markets open back up, which you kind of see from the high yield market, but 
credit is the lifeblood of a capital intensive industry, which this is. And as long as credit stays closed or tight, it's going to be difficult for the stocks to bottom. But, you know, when that happens, I think we're going to see uh, an amazing kind of 10-year buying opportunity here at some point in the next one to two years. And that's what we're trying to do here is to illustrate where investors should be watching and paying attention. So once again, Tim, so helpful. You are able to articulate such complicated topics in a really clear and understandable way. So thank you again for your time. Thank you, James. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode. And remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.